Um, hang on, let me get this set up right. Um, so real quick, you guys, thank you for having me, Crystal. Thanks for inviting me in. I got to talk to the group earlier today, um, and I get to come back and, um, and chat with you guys as well. And so, um, one of the things I was thinking about, I, I do, I work for a local, um, mental health and addiction hospital. And one of the cool things that I get to do is I get to go out in the community, talk to schools, doctor's offices, counseling services, community resources, and let them know what kind of mental health and addiction resources are out in the community. Really, we can't tell when something um, is going to happen. Someone's going to be in crisis or, some, or someone is ready to say, I give up and look for help. And that's one of my jobs is to be out there and talk to people about it and just make sure that they know that there are some resources out there. But one thing in particular about education is I feel like, how many instructors do I have in here? Instructors, nice. So. One of the unique things about education as an instructor, you have two unique opportunities. Number one, you get to see people come in the doors, ready to roll, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to change their life, learn some new skills, and go out and get a job, right? So hopefully we see that happen. You get to watch what they want to do, what kind of goals they have, um, what they want to do when they quote-unquote grow up, and then hopefully go out and, and enter into the, uh, to the workforce. But the other unique opportunity that you guys have is y'all are on the front lines with students. And I know y'all students range in all kind, all ages, um, you know, uh, late teens and, and up into adulthood, but y'all are on the front lines. Y'all are seeing if people are struggling, if they're having challenges. Maybe you know what's going on at home. Maybe they're a, a single mom or dad, they got someone sick. Uh, they got outside stresses that may contribute to their performance here. But more importantly, you get to know these people uh, in a way where you can tell when something's off. So they're one way some weeks, and they're another way other weeks. They're one way at the beginning of the semester, they're another way at the middle or end of the semester. So you guys have an opportunity to get out in front of mental health and addiction challenges and what I would call prevention. So getting to things before it becomes a crisis. So what I'm gonna talk to you today is about the high cost of anonymity. And we're going to have a conversation about normalizing mental health and addiction and how to create a safe place for people to, to, um, to share openly and ask for help. So real quick, um, if you know someone struggling with mental health or addiction issues, things like major anxiety, depression, um, uh, ADHD, bipolar, panic attacks, uh, maybe they're struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Crystal actually has a couple different resource binders. Uh, that was one of the things that we talked about was how do we, we have this binder, but how do we make sure our students know about it? So if you know someone struggling in the mental health or addiction uh, area, let them know that we got some resources and they can come talk to Crystal. We actually, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but they actually brainstormed one of these um, uh, phrases. I call it a throwaway phrase that you can bring up in the beginning of uh, every class. So most of what I'm going to talk to you about today is based on 18 years of experience being a person in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. And what that means is, is that I haven't used drugs and alcohol since September 10th of 2001. And most of the time, I'm grateful for that. But sometimes I, I have remorse. I miss my drugs and alcohol. 
Because the truth is, I'm not anti-drug or anti-alcohol. I think that most adults can have healthy relationships with drugs and alcohol. But there are some those, uh, some of those that, that like me, they average maybe, they say about 10, uh, 10 to 15% of our uh, community suffer from the disease of addiction. That means that some people are allergic to outside substances in their body. And what that means for me is, is I didn't get in trouble every time I drank and did drugs, but every time I got in trouble, I was under the influence of alcohol and drugs. I didn't get in trouble every time, uh, I didn't get in trouble with my family every time I drank and did drugs, but every time I got in trouble with my family, I was drinking and doing drugs. And that's not for everybody. What oftentimes starts as experimentation um, becomes uh, something that they rely on and, and sometimes can end them up in places like where I ended up, which is jails, institutions, and death. So that's not everybody. And, uh, and like I said, I do, I do miss it sometimes, but because I'm allergic, I'm grateful that I found a new solution. And that's why I get to go, that's what I get to go talk about um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. So One of the reasons I'm really passionate about this topic is because I'm one of the lucky ones. There is a very, very small percentage of people that go through drug and alcohol addiction, go through mental health, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, etc., and find a new solution and come out on the other side. It's very few people. Now, one of the reasons that I think is, is because it's not safe to talk about for most people. Most people that are struggling in these areas, they will never tell you that they're struggling with drug and alcohol addiction or mental health issues. Many times we don't find out um, that they're having an issue until they end up in crisis. Now, what do I mean by crisis? We're talking mental breakdowns, panic attacks, act, start acting uncharacteristically. I talked a little bit about that a second ago. Quit showing up to school. Um, you know, they come in, uh, they come in ready to roll and doing all their work. And then something happens and we see like, man, what's going on with this person? Um, and worst of all, sometimes people try and commit suicide, but we don't find out about that. They get locked up. They end up in a mental, mental institution. We don't know about that. So if we can open that conversation and make it a safer place, hopefully we can get on the front end of that for more people. It's not going to prevent people acting out and having what you know what the industry calls a crisis but at least we can open it up and uh and talk about it real quick just so i get an idea i know i got uh, mostly um instructors in here but by a show of hands how many people know someone that has struggled or does struggle with drug and alcohol addiction how many people in here know someone that struggle with drug and alcohol addiction good deal how many people know someone that has struggled with anxiety, depression, ADHD, bipolar, uh, even some of the more severe ones like schizophrenic, suicidal, right? It's about 90% of our room. So that's what is odd for me. How is it that 90 to 100% of people here, and those percentages are the same out there, how is it that so many people have experience with friends, family members, and even their own person um, struggle with mental health issues and yet nobody knows how to talk about it and yet when people are in a crisis we don't know who to talk to so what do i mean by high cost of anonymity first we need to know what anonymity means anybody know what anonymity means go ahead being anonymous being anonymous that's right anybody know what being anonymous means this my man well, she stole my <laughs> 
Attaboy. Well, it's a trick. All it means is the, the state of having no name, being not seen. That's right. Um, oftentimes, anonymous or anonymity is, is associated with some sort of 12-step program. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, Sex Addiction Anonymous. There's all kind of anonymous anonymouses out there. And that actually stems for what's called the traditions. The tra- traditions are very important. The reason they said back when uh, some of those fellowships were created was in the 30s. So if people found out that you were an alcoholic, you wouldn't get jobs. They wouldn't associate with you at church. You would be ostracized, outcast. And that still happens today. The fear, the fear itself will keep people in the shadows and not talk about what they got going through. But the other reason they don't want people uh, talking about, you know, being a member of a specific program is, let's say that I go in and I get, uh, um, I get inter- interviewed on TV, right? And I'd say, I'm a proud member of XYZ 12-step program. Well, everything I'm talking to you today is based on my own personal experience. And some of my opinions don't jive with what they talk about in the 12-step program. Or if I start talking crazy, it may look bad on those 12-step programs. So that's a very important piece of these 12-step programs about remaining anonymous. But there's a high cost to that. And what I mean by that is one of my mentors very, very early on, he said, if your friends, family, neighbor, coworkers, students don't know that you have experience in drug and alcohol recovery, what happens when their mom, their dad, their cousin, their, their daughter, their neighbor is struggling with drug and alcohol issues? What happened? They don't know that you got experience in there. You are robbing them from the ability to ask you for help. Now, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but if someone close to me is struggling, they know that they can at least reach out and we can show them to the book, the resource book, right? So that's number one robbing our community of a resource. Number two, there's an extremely high cost when it comes to resources. Anybody know what I mean when I say resources, mental health and addiction resources? Ring a bell for anybody. That's right. Good job. So there's two things, two pieces, funding. So funding comes from our government, our state, our county, and our city uh, resources city budgets basically who do you think decides how much money is allocated to mental health addiction housing food stamps who gets to decide that who's making the laws the government and who votes on the laws yeah and us that's right so if I'm too scared to tell people that I'm in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, if I'm too scared to say, hey, I suffer from anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts, what's the likelihood do you think I'm going to go in and I'm going to pick it to my government, I'm going to talk to my elected official, and I'm going to tell them, send more resources for drug and alcohol and mental health addiction. What do you think the likelihood of that's going to happen? It's unlikely, right? Now, on the flip side... Um, who do you think spends millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars lobbying the government to help make rules that favor their industry? And I'll give you a small hint. It has to do with pharmaceuticals, lobbyists, lobbyists and insurance companies. Now, I respect the hustle. I'm pro-business. So if you own a business, many of you with the skills that y'all learn in this institution... 
Y'all might decide to start a business, right? And the federal government says if you have a business, you get to take tax deductions, right? We love tax deductions. That means instead of paying 20,000 taxes, you can deduct it and maybe only pay five. So if the federal government says you can take these 20 tax deductions, shouldn't you take them? What do you think? Should you just say, well, I should, I should only take half. It's the right thing to do. What do you think? Should you take the tax deductions or not? Hey, tell the truth. So in business, if the federal government says, Mr. Insurance Company, you only have to pay for these services, but not these services. Do you think the insurance company should pay for it even if the federal government says they don't have to? I don't think so. Right? Now, the other challenge is, when these insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to lobby the federal government to make laws in their favor, who do you think is not spending millions and millions and millions of dollars? Us. Nonprofits. The people that are in the trenches, face-to-face, trying to help serve their community. Social workers, therapists, um, other 12-step fellowships. They don't, want, they don't want none of that smoke. They don't want to mess with any of that. So how do we affect change? My hypothesis is that we affect change right here. We do our part in trying to make it a safe place for people to bring up um, challenges, mental health-wise and drug and alcohol addiction-wise. And if we can get people that are getting help and having success, then how do I share my experience in a positive, productive way that doesn't make me sound like a victim or blaming Big Pharma, my politicians, or insurance companies? There's nothing worse to be like, oh, it's the pharmaceutical company's fault. It's the insurance company's fault. We want to figure out a responsible, productive, and positive way that we can positively impact these topics and then encourage our people to go vote. Um, we did that. We did that. Boom, boom, boom. Now, let me tell you a real-life example. So why, is I, why am I so passionate about it? Number one, the stakes are so high. They are so high. The stakes are so high for those people, 10, 15% of people that struggle with drug and alcohol addiction. Young lady in uh, Cleveland, 24 years old. She injured her knee in high school. She was from a married, well-to-do family. She injured her knee. She played sports. She tore a bunch of ligaments. She had surgery. The doctor prescribed her uh, Vicodin. Vicodin is like, it's an opiate. It's like legal heroin, right? She liked Vicodin. She refilled her Vicodin regularly until the doctor cut her off. After her knee was long gone, uh, nice and healed, she still had that draw. She, she, was, she was one of me, allergic. So what she started doing was she started buying pills uh, on the black market, right? Street pharmacists. But here's the thing about prescription drugs is they are very expensive. So when she graduated high school, keeping everything to gr- together, made good grades from a nice family, she graduated high school, got a job, she couldn't afford it anymore. So what do you think she started using? That's right. That's right. Now, here's what happened to the young lady from Cleveland. She started using heroin for three years. She finally got down and out, lost her job, ended up in a, a, a drug rehab. Her parents weren't susceptible to insurance companies, they had a big checkbook. So they wrote a check for $40,000 for uh, 30 days of treatment. She goes to treatment, she gets out, 
30 days, just FYI, 30 days is not enough to cure someone of a uh, heroin addiction or any kind of addiction for that matter. She got out and she used again. And the only problem was her tolerance was down and her stuff was laced with what? Fentanyl. That's right. And again, I am not anti-drug, although I don't know very many casual heroin users. I'm not anti-drug, but I don't know very many people that are just casual prescription users, right? So the cost is so high because people that have an allergic, uh, that are allergic to drugs and alcohol, when they're out there buying from street pharmacists, we don't know what's going on. And I kind of laugh about it too, because my parents, when I was growing up, they were pretty open about drug and alcohol use. And they would say, man, this, uh, the pot we used to smoke wasn't nearly as strong as the stuff y'all smoke. You know, they were, they were telling me not to smoke pot because it was too strong. What about the pot now? That stuff is fire. This is 10, 20, 100 times stronger than marijuana that we used to smoke back in the day. And even more so when it comes to heroin. We got fentanyl, car fentanyl. This stuff is killing folks. You know, the stakes are extremely high. Now that's the drug and alcohol, that's the uh, drug and alcohol piece. The next person, this, uh, this young lady's 35 years old, comes from a good family, well-educated. Um, she's actually in the helping business. Helping business means they're a counselor, a therapist, a social worker. She was actually a life coach. She works with people one-on-one to help them with their dreams and goals, how to uh, make their dreams a reality. She was actually active for 10 years in a 12-step fellowship. She was married. She had a three-year-old son. She moved from one state to another, new community, new home, new job. She changed jobs and careers. And one day while her husband was at work and her son was at daycare, she ended up in the closet contemplating suicide. She was diagnosed with uh, clinical depression and it was 100% out of the blue. That was my wife four months ago. And this was a person that we actively, I am actively in the business. I actively am around people that struggle with mental health and addiction on a regular basis. I actively talk about it. She actively helps people talk about it. And she ends up in the closet contemplating suicide with everything on the line. From the outside, nothing is wrong. There wasn't nothing wrong. For, For the most part, everything was all good. But she had an imbalance chemically. Uh, with something going on with her mental health, which is very, very difficult to diagnose. And so it's important for these people, particularly people in communities where these are single parent households. These are people spending every dime they got just to come to school. They got to not only come to school, do the homework and work and try to make things happen. The amount of stress that the people that you guys come in contact with, number one, It's a testament to them to be able to do that. But we just have to be aware of some of the people that we come in contact with and understand the stresses that come along. And if they're one of the people that struggle, you guys have an opportunity to turn them on to some resources and get them some help. So let's talk about some of the stuff uh, that you see in the the classroom. Show, Show of hands again for how many instructors I got in here. Say it. Gotcha. Okay, good deal. So if we're just going to kick around some ideas, what are some challenges that you see in the classroom that you think might be a sign of stress, anxiety, worry, panic attacks? What are some things that happen in your classroom that you see on a regular basis that would be a good type of person to talk to Crystal about the mental health resource guide? What are some examples? 
my man. Somebody who is usually outgoing, uh, then kind of reserves himself at periods of time throughout throughout the day and throughout They become withdrawn. That's right. So sometimes it could that's that could be two things: high highs, low lows, or that could be when they're feeling right, they're outgoing, interacting with people, and when something's off, they withdraw. They quit coming to class, they quit participating, maybe they don't put as much effort into assignments, right? That same thing happens at home, that's a good one. Someone raise their hand over here. Distant, there you go. You ever had anybody freak out in your classroom? That's right. That's right. Um, I think the technical term now these are not my these are not mine. I went to handy dandy Google and printed them off. But that would probably be inability to cope with daily problems and stress. Things that just seem regular, regular, no big deal, make people freak out. Right. Um, I was uh, I had to laugh. I was listening to some personal development. Uh, a personal development podcast and this guy was talking about the difference between negative thinking and positive thinking and he says negative thinking negative thinking is at least a net one negative thought is at least 10 times stronger than one positive thought that means for every one negative thought that I have I need to have 10 positive thoughts just to get equal and so he also said it can be challenging to be positive because when things ain't great it's hard to be positive. You feel like you're lying to yourself. I could identify with that. So he said, let's work on being neutral. Um, so it's not good. It's not bad. It's neutral. So if I can work on being neutral, I have a less chance of having high highs and low lows. And he said, do me a favor. Start to track your negative thinking, right? So I'm tracking my negative thoughts, negative thoughts, negative thoughts. And I realized I spent about three hours a day arguing with my wife in my head. She ain't even here, and I'm talking smack. I'm arguing every angle of every argument about why I'm right and why she's wrong, and she needs to agree with me. And then I get home. Sorry, you said that's marriage. That's right. That's right. And then I get home and wonder why I want to fly off the handle when she don't uh, put something in the right place. she's She's a neat freak, but I wonder why I'm on edge and the smallest thing will send me over the edge. And that's because of my thinking. I spent three hours arguing with her in my head. She ain't even around. But that's not the husband I want to be nor the father I want to be. I got the same challenge with my three-year-old. Sometimes I'll be, you know, arguing with her and, you know, having him acting like a three-year-old. And before you know it, I'm acting like a three-year-old. So uh, I digress. The inability to deal with daily problems of stress. Let me go through a couple of them. Hard time concentrating, right? Can't focus. Uh, mood swings, high highs and low lows, excessive anger, hostility, and violence. Now, this is a this is a uh, an interesting point which we talked a little bit about today. Is what's the difference between crisis and some bad behavior or an episode, as we talked about? Some people, you know, getting upset. Maybe they got good reason or other stress. Like, what's the difference? So these are some things to be aware of. Not everybody that is angry, hostile, or or violent, that that doesn't mean they have a mental health issue, but if we can open the conversation up and talk about it, we can maybe uh, dig through and help let them know that uh, there's free counseling right down the road in Reynoldsburg. Become withdrawn. Uh, Both my guys uh, mentioned that. 
Um, paranoid, uh, paranoid, trouble sleeping. This is a big one. Insomnia. Insomnia. People are stressed, worried, anxious. If we don't get enough sweet sleep, not only can we not stay up, but we get even more stressed out and anxious. We a lot oftentimes use drug, alcohol, uh, sleeping pills to try to sleep, and it's a vicious cycle. Inability to cope with daily problems, suicidal thinking. And here's where drug and alcohol is an interesting one because many, many, many people that struggle with mental health issues self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Many people that have real drug and alcohol or mental health issues are oftentimes seeing therapists and psychiatrists who are prescribing psychotropic drugs and other things and self-medicating on top of it because they don't understand what they got going on is a deeper uh, mental and emotional issue. So these are some things to watch out for. So what should we do? One of the things I think we should do is bring up mental health in the classroom and bring it up regularly. Now there's a very, very important way to do it. I call it the indirect sandwich. I just made that up. Indirect sandwich. So I got a, about 20 years of sales experience. What's your, what's your name, my, my lady? Katana. Katana. If I came up to Katana, Miss Katana, I said, Katana, you want to buy this? That's called a direct statement. Katana, do you want to buy this? If you ask someone directly if they want to do something, what happens? Not only do they say no, but what happens? They put a wall up. But I said, Katana, you see this pink highlighter? It's really nice. Do you know somebody that might want a pink highlighter? What's your defenses doing? They're going down. It's what's called an indirect sales tactic because the truth is, if I say, Katana, you know somebody wants a pink uh, highlighter, it's so good, let me show you. Katana goes, shoot, I might want to buy that thing. So when we're talking about bringing up, how do we bridge uh, uh, or open the conversation about mental health and addiction? The one, one way that I've used over the last 18 years is I say, hey, if you know somebody that struggles with mental health or addiction issues, let them know that I got some uh, experience with that. Let them know that they can call me email me and reach out to me. Anyway, here's the sandwich part. Anyway, let's talk about microphones. Indirect statement. Uh, do you know someone? Do you know someone struggle with? Hey, do you know someone who wants to buy this thing? Indirect, so I'm not talking to you. List a couple things, mental health and addiction, which we're going to go into this in a minute. And the next thing is move on. Move on to the next topic. So what that could look like in your... Um, in your class, which we talked about before, if you know someone struggling with mental health issues. Now, one thing that's very important with mental health uh, and addiction, a lot of times if I say mental health, every single person in here, it might mean something different. The definition of mental health might mean something totally different. So it's important when you're bringing it up to list things, give them some examples. So if you know someone struggling with mental health and addiction issues like Major anxiety, depression, hard time sleeping, bipolar, uh, uh, stresses, uh, everyday stresses. If you know someone experiencing that, let them know that Crystal has a mental health resource guide with stuff like counseling services, uh, hospital uh, services, free or low cost uh, county services for you. But anyway, let's talk about headphones and how we're going to edit our new uh, podcast. Right? So if we make... A habit, it needs to be a habit, 
If we make a habit of bringing this up on a regular basis, you're going to create an environment, not that people are going to run up and say, yo, Katana, I got a mental health issue. Can you help me? They ain't going to do that. They're going to meander around over to Miss Crystal's desk and be like, hey, where's that thing? My mom's having some problems, right? And we want to keep it like that, even if we know that they're talking about them. Keep talking indirectly. Hey, we know if you know someone that needs help, hey, uh, we're a big fan of counseling. We got a couple counselors. If you know someone that needs counseling, anything to keep that conversation mo- moving because when someone is having a crisis, when they're having a freak out, a breakdown, or whatever, they ain't hearing anything we got to say. And so if I impress upon you anything is just to resort... Create an atmosphere when we can resort to the resource. Because by no means am I a mental health professional. I would probably venture to bet most people in here are not a mental health professional. I know Miss Crystal ain't a mental health professional. However, we can point to the resource and say, hey, some people go to counseling. Or, hey, if this is a real crisis, we got a hospital around the corner. Um, indirect sandwich. I already talked about that. Let's see. <clears throat> So a couple things before I'd open up to discussion or questions. Number one, this serious business. This is no joke. I have a good time. I like to talk about uh, missing drugs and alcohol. I go to uh, a lot of the circles and environments uh, that I like to go in and people are talking about these crazy things that they did while they were under the influence and we laugh at each other. But this is serious business. People's butts are on the line. And the vast majority of people that qualify for some sort of mental health or addiction issue, there is very few people that are actually getting help and getting help successfully. So I just want to impress upon you that y'all have a unique opportunity. Y'all are on the front lines. Y'all get to see, y'all get to see this face to face. Y'all get to experience the highs of people getting it, making something creative going out and putting it out there on YouTube or whatever and getting people to like, or even just start a podcast. You get to share in those wins, maybe even get a real job with like a TV or a radio station. But you also get the other side. Y'all got an opportunity to bring up these topics. One thing I didn't talk about, which I skipped right over. We talked about the indirect sandwich. Here's something that which this probably needs a little, little, uh, Uh, more of just a a mention, but if you have direct experience yourself with drug and alcohol addiction or mental health issues, learn how to talk about it in a way that's responsible, productive, and positive, right? Now, it took me a long time to be able to talk about my recovery. If you've noticed, I haven't said that I'm a member of any 12-step fellowship. I said I'm a person in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. That's very, you know, benign. It's just basically saying I don't use drugs and alcohol. But figure out a way that's positive and productive to talk about your anxiety, your depression, how you were before, what you do to help manage it in a way that's positive and productive. The last thing, well, the reason I say positive and productive is you don't want to sound like a, like a whiner or a victim. Because if I'm talking in victim language, I create other victims that want to blame them and they and situations or whatever. But if you have experience, even if, you're, if your family's got experience, yo, I, I got experience with having a wife that struggles with, with mental health issues. Here's what we do as a family. This is all an open conversation, so you become more likely to be an asset and a resource in your community. And when it comes time to vote for more funding for, pe- for more coverage, so we're not working with, um, we're not working with 
such little money that we don't have enough for, for prevention, you guys have a really, really cool opportunity. So if you have experience in there, learn how to talk about it. I can also, if, if you really want to uh, help to work through that, I can help you with that. Um, know your resources. Go look at the resource book. Um, I'm helping Crystal, uh, you know, put some good resources in there. Go look, see what's in there. Because that's another thing when we talk about mental health, it's, it's a normal thing for us to look at our, our physical health, our eating health. But when it comes to mental health, all of a sudden people are nervous to say, hey, I go see a counselor. Hey, I got a coach. Hey, I go see a psychiatrist. It's important to help um, have a team of people to help you work through your thoughts and not your buddy that's going to agree with you all the time or your mom that's going to be, oh, darling, you're so smart. Right. That's what my, that's, I'm from Texas. That's how my mom talks. But um, but open your mouth. Tell people what's going on with you. If you are concerned about someone, speak up. Let's talk about it. Let's scoop them in with uh, compassion and love and help. Let's push them over to the resources and see if we can get them help before they have a freak out or before uh, they quit showing up and drop out of school. Because ultimately, um, you know, more people that finish what you guys are doing when it comes to school and curriculum, they're more likely to have success and we don't want them to stop halfway through. Um, start the conversation, indirect, the throwaway phase, which we got here, we could talk about a little bit more and make it a part of your, uh, of your culture. If we talk about it a couple classes at the, at the couple classes at the beginning, beginning of the semester and you quit talking about it, ain't nobody, everybody's going to forget about the resource book just like they have, uh, you know, currently. So if we make it a habit, if you, if you as an instructor need to write up here, resource book, just to remind you, hey, if you know someone struggling with mental health, anxiety, depression, boom, just let us know we're in uh, uh, Crystal, you know, in Crystal's office, we're talking about uh, yellow markers today. Go ahead. Yes. Boom. There you go. Would you, just out of curiosity, would you say student support services that has things like mental health and addiction resources, counseling, good? That's perfect. That's good. That's good. Whatever you, because it's very easy in an industry to get into what's called industry speak. Mental health, addiction, media, like we think that everybody knows what the heck I'm talking about. So any opportunity that you have that you can list whatever you're talking about, that's going to help open people's minds so they understand they'll latch onto that one word that you said and it, they'll, they'll be able to take on what it is that you're telling them. And, uh, um, you know, figure out what works for you. If y'all come up with some phrasing for the school, but it's not quite right for, right for you, don't not do it. Just come up with phrasing that works. Make sure it's cool with Crystal, but open that conversation and move it forward. Um, that's all I got. Technically, I'd like to uh, have some comments or questions if you guys want to sort some of this stuff out, but it is absolutely a privilege to come in here and talk about this. As you can see, um, this is something that's really close to my heart and I like talking about it. I, I call my boss all the time. I'm like, are you sure this is all I got to do is go talk about mental health and addiction? It's taken me a long time to get here. So I'm just really grateful to be a part of, um, of this workshop. And I'm also really grateful to work um, with the educators like you because that's something that I love doing uh, as well. I don't know nothing about media. Uh, my podcast, I just literally talk into my phone. I don't have no microphones, no editing. I just talk. Uh, that was my excuse. This is, uh, that's an excuse of me doing 
not making excuses not to do, meaning I need the right art. I need the right microphone. I'm just doing. So anyway, thank you all for helping uh, our community and, and, and um, let me uh, come and share. Um, any comments, questions? My man. Um, so if somebody came up to you, more of a, a generalized question, and since in our field we, we, nest, we go out into environments where there's like either heavy drinking or heavy usage of, of drugs and whatnot, um, and they themselves are you know, addicts or in recovery, how would you um, have them frame their mindset because you still have to be at those places, but you know you struggle with those demons and whatnot. Sure. So if I understand you correctly, if you're a person that is struggling with drug and alcohol addiction or sober, not using, yes. am I right? Yeah. And you go into these environments like my family, who is at the minimum heavy drinkers, how do we fight the demons? Is that what you're asking? Yes. So... That's a good question. I was laughing when my, I was talking to my mom recently and I said, you know, mom, I was curious about what a social drinker is because I used to tell people, oh, I'm, I'm a social drinker. So I went to handy dandy Google and I looked it up and it says a social drinker drinks less than two alcoholic beverages a week. I said, well, social drinking's out for me. I've never done anything social. Not cookies, not pizza, not alcohol, not nothing. And I said, so what's a heavy drinker? And it says a heavy drinker is someone that drinks uh, four or more alcoholic beverages at one sitting. I said, well, that's my entire family, friends. I don't know one person that doesn't drink for at least on occasion or weekly for. I was telling my mom, I said, I was telling her what I, what I said. She goes, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, you know, if I only have two drinks, I tell people I don't even drink. And most of the time I have a bottle, of wa- a bottle of wine a night, right? And so that's four drinks. So I get what you're saying because every time I go around my friends and family, they're always drinking. What I did was I would show up late and I'd have an exit strategy. Now for me, I went to a lot of 12-step meetings. For my first probably four to five years of sobriety, I went to a meeting virtually every single day. So what I would do is on the weekends, I worked on Saturdays. So I would work until about three or four. I'd go to the barbecue around five or six. I'd stay for an hour and I'd have an out and I'd go hang around with people that didn't drink. Now, I was forced to go to these, forced to go to treatment, forced to go to these meetings. The state of Texas said, if you don't change your ways, you're going to go to jail. So I had a little bit in the back of my head of like, I couldn't. But first and foremost, I had an exit strategy. I had a plan. I only hung around with, aside from my friends and family for short periods of time, I only hung around with people that didn't do drugs. Not social drinkers, not people that never had an issue, people that had an issue with drugs and alcohol like me and lived a different way of life, not drinking and using. Because when I was with them, I had a much better shot not to fight the demons and I worked with a mentor, they call it a sponsor in 12-step, I worked with a mentor to deal with the thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, dig into the feeling stuff that causes me to feel like I need to use drugs and alcohol to change the way I feel. So that's a really good question. Does that answer your question? Cool. Good question. Another way of phrasing that is like from some of the 
That's right. What are you going to create by being there? 100%. So if you're creating a space of Absolutely. So that's very simplifying because I yeah. know if you're really struggling, it can be the coaching, the mentoring, the counseling, it's all part of that. Too. That's right. And I've also found it extremely beneficial because for me, I, I keep joking about it, but I do love drugs and alcohol. If I could use drugs and alcohol success, successfully, I absolutely would. So if I'm going to go in these environments and they're doing something that I like, and guess what? They look like they're having so much fun and I'm uncomfortable in my own skin, I want to do what they're doing, and I'm going to just go hang out with them, what do you think I'm going to end up doing? I'm going to end up wanting to feel the way that they look because they look like they got it going on. Now, the truth is, their life might be upside down, but they don't look like it. And for me, if I don't feel comfortable in my own skin, I know how I can change that. And that, for me, is drugs and alcohol. So hanging out with people, it's kind of like if you want to be a professional podcaster or a professional radio personality, why would you go hang out at a barbershop? Now, there's some personalities in there, but they ain't radio personalities. They ain't media personalities. They ain't podcasting experts. We need to go hang out with who? The experts. So if I want to hang out with people that have success, staying sober and clean off drugs and alcohol, I need to go hang out with people that are having success? That's a good question. Who else? Anybody questions, comments, anything they're curious about? You want to uh, help walk through some of this? I know Crystal's got a, a grass sec, uh, second time she's heard it. Yes, sir. Suggestions on how to communicate with someone that's having an anxiety attack? I think Crystal is probably better at that, uh, with that <coughs> topic, which we talked about earlier about de-escalation, because for me, um, you know, once someone's in the crisis, it's they're, they're in a crisis. There's no really reasoning. I'm really more about how can we talk about it up front so we don't get to the crisis or after the crisis is over, after everything's calmed down, whether it's later that night or next week when they come in, how we can talk about it and always resort to the resources. Hey, I understand. Let's get you some help, blah, 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 blah. But I think Crystal can elaborate on that a little bit about de-escalation, I think. Imagine that. And were you also, were you talking about in the classroom as well? Or are you just talking about someone that's... Specifically in the classroom. Cool. 
Um, I, talk a little bit about the de-escalation when you were saying, when they were saying, do we leave the room? Yeah. Do we stay in? That was yeah, some good information. Up, you know, I, and I, 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 night and I said, during the day, you know, sometimes we have those students who get combative or they, they create issues and
good good point. Any other uh, comments or did hopefully that helps uh, guide you a little bit? Cool, my man. Kind of along the same lines. Um, I think when I think mental health, one of the things I think about is insecurities. Hundred percent. And I believe that, like, and I know because I was that kid in high school who was a class clown, or was, believe it or not, always made the jokes and. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, you you must have a reputation yeah. around so, here. Right. So I guess I sowed some of that seed because I'm reaping some of that now. <laughs> and what what is for both you guys? I mean, what is a recommended uh, way to handle you know your teaching in class? Because there's this one guy who's you know making comments all the time. And it's obvious he's not there to learn. He's more there to, oh, I see a cute girl in the class. So let me look cool so I can talk to her later kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't have tons of experience as a, as a, yeah, there you go. Good, good. Thank you. Anybody else, questions, comments, uh, would like to add? My man. I have another question. Yes, sir. It's about anxiety. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have it or not. I'm, I'm, I'm all this, this talk recently in, in the mainstream media about mental health has got me questioning myself. You know, I've been in broadcasting for, for a long time. Are you famous? Should I be getting a, uh, should I be getting a signature? Should getting a sit- Can you sign my napkin or uh, my shirt or something? See, it's happening right now. <laughs> it just, it just. <laughs> oh, you mean like, it, it just looks like you got it going on. Is that right? We got, we got this, uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I'm just messing. So, like, it's had me self, like all this talk, you know, lately in, in media about mental health, health awareness. Uh, it's had me self-reflecting, mm-hmm. and 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 then I'm taking, I'm I'm now more aware of when I go out in public places, you know, uh, I'm comfortable in an environment where I, I know people, mm-hmm. but when I go out in public, especially where there's a lot of people around, and I don't know and or I don't know if they know who I am and when I because I'm believe it or not I'm private mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate my privacy you know when I'm not on sure which is which is often the case right so I get tight uh, tense I'm I'm more like a uh, um, trying to think of like a uh, Liam Nelson in a movie just analyzing everything, yeah. watching everything. Where's my exit? Where's my you know? exit? Yeah, I, I, I feel and that. I use this, use this, this spoon as a, as a weapon in case that's you know, right. Mass shooter, yeah, you know, like is that anxiety issues? Well, so look, I'm not a professional, so I'm not. I, I don't have the ability to give you. That, that's right. However, however, here's what I would say. Um, there's a lot of people that have that and that sound. I mean, you could Google what is symptoms of anxiety and they would say tightening of chest, looking around, you know, like exactly what you described. But here's what I would because um, here's what I would say. Y'all are y'all a fan of the uh, Breakfast Club in Charlemagne? That so number one, um, I really like that he's moving the conversation forward. You get these people a lot of times, particularly with, with media, is you get these big, huge personalities or they have the ability to turn things on and off and people think that they're on all the time, but the truth is they're quite private, exactly what you talked about. Or that 
Um, you know, because they look like everything is all good here, we just assume that everything is all good and we got it going on. We have no, we have no clue that you feel a bit backed into a corner. But what I am 100% an advocate for is making counseling, therapy, coaching, group work, some sort of opportunity or safe place where you can talk about this stuff and it's not your friend and it's not your mom and it's not your wife and it's not people. It's what I call a non-biased third party. That's why me and my wife benefit greatly from going to couples counseling. We've been to couples counseling multiple times when there was no issue. We, we, we weren't like on the fritz or about to get divorced. We were just going so we could get a perspective of a non-biased third party so we could work through our issues and learn how to communicate with each other so I can try to be the husband that I want to be. Same thing with my male mentors. I got guys that they don't, they have no benefit on if I'm successful or not financially. They have no uh, insight or benefit if me and my wife stay together. All they want to do is help me work through my stuff. And because they're on the outside, they're able to give me some perspective. So I am a huge fan. Charlemagne, uh, as a matter of fact, that was part of his book. He got, a, he got a therapist. He had to address his anxiety. And he has a way, tools and tips, which he learned from his therapist on how he works through it today. So that's what I don't know if you have anxiety, but I would encourage you to start exploring. Uh, one of the books I read, it says, Seek and he will reveal himself to you which means that if we start seeking for answers, counseling, therapy, spirituality, meditation, the answers will be, will be revealed. And that's a really great thing. And stuff in the media is working right now because we're in a place where everybody, every single place I go, they say mental health is our number one issue. Social, emotional education is our number one issue. But the problem we have right now is just like with drug and alcohol addiction, with the opiates and stuff like that, we're trying to address crisis. Nobody really knows what to do, right? Also, the funding isn't there. So when we go to these community boards like Adam H. Board, the people that are responsible for, for paying for mental health and addiction for people that can't necessarily afford it or just like general um, county services is, they don't even have the money to put towards prevention because they're too busy spending all the money on crisis. They do not have enough money. So even though people are talking about mental health and addiction, that's why uh, someone will be in a crisis, go to a drug rehab or a mental health rehab, and the doctor says you need 90 days of treatment, and the insurance company says we'll pay for 20. It's not that they're evil. That's That's the jam. That's where we're at with our mental health and addiction. So if you have the ability to seek, there's some really great resources right here. And on a serious note, if you want to talk off the record about some stuff, I got some other resources that I can put you in contact with. I would just encourage you to explore and seek and see if you can kind of dig through some of that, see where it comes from um, and see if you can learn some tips and tricks on how to deal with that in a positive way. And then also be able to kind of peace out if you have to not peace out in fear, peace out in a way that's responsible, productive, and you're just getting out of your situation with a cool, with a cool head. So that's a really great question. Thank you. Thank you for being interested in that. Cool. Anybody else? Anybody else? What would you say to someone who's like withdrawal? Like you were talking earlier about people who don't like want to get up and go to work or whatever. Like what are things you can say to them to kind of motivate them? If they can't like go to resources and choose not to like the resources. Yeah, I think in my, again, this is not a professional opinion. That is very, very challenging because uh, you heard the phrase, you can take a, a lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. 
my strategy has always been to be um, open, to be encouraging, to be non-direct. Like, you need to get off your butt and go do something. We, it's really more just um, dealing with them with compassion, love, understanding, and help them know, like, yo, you want to go out and do this? Hey, uh, you know someone that wants help this? Sometimes getting them involved with helping other people as opposed to, you know, their own stuff. But it takes, um, it, that is a hard situation, particularly if they're close to you. Um, but that's also something that you could um, uh, seek. How do we deal? Like, here's the other thing which I didn't talk about. There's other, uh, uh, although there are 12-step fellowships for people that struggle with drug and alcohol addiction and any other addiction, but there's also groups for families. Um, one of them is called Al-Anon. That's for families of, um, of uh, drug addicts and alcoholics. And that is how do we be productive? Because oftentimes we suffocate people with love. We want to help them. We, we end up enabling them. We end up making it worse. So there are uh, support groups out there that can help you with that, that side of it. And again, just like my man here, seek. Look for more skills and tools for your own person. And that when we change, magically the people around us end up changing. They kind of see, instead of telling someone what to do, if we do the changing, sometimes they'll follow right along. But that's a, it's a tough situation, but I hope that's helpful. And continue to be indirect, compassionate, loving, and help do some work yourself. Because when you change, you're now a new person. And you get to encourage them to change too, just by your actions. Okay? What's up? It is. That, 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 that's another really challenging thing about mental health is oftentimes, and I've experienced this, believe me, I think I know a lot, but when it comes to my wife and her mental health stuff, I, most of the time I'm saying the wrong stuff. I just don't know how to help, etc. But what I do know how to do is have a support group for me. And I know she's got a support group, but trying to work on her own stuff so we're not kind of pointing the finger because once you, a lot of times, with particularly with mental health, um, ending up in those black holes is very difficult. A lot of people don't see ways out. Um, so ask people, what is it like to get out of a black hole? How do you help someone who's really struggling? How do you help get their own personal experience? And ask, and they'll help you with the tools, in my experience. Anybody else? Well, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. It was really a pleasure. I'm going to hang around a little bit today. I had to peace out, but um, have a, a, uh, I had an appointment, but um, it really is a pleasure. And thank you all for participating. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers.